0: It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner.
1: Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each and every week, we look at sports topics of local interest, maybe some national topics that pique our interest. Got a gambling segment, and my favorite segment of the podcast is always where you can ask me a question, you can go to Twitter, Rick will fill it up, it's the hashtags. ask skinny anything. It can be sports. It can be relationship advice. It can be food. It can be clothes. Because I am a fashion maven, as most people know. It can be a lot of different things. So uh, here we go, Rick. Uh, anything new with you going on? Uh, just staying busy?
0: Yeah, that's about it. Just keeping up with the fashion maven that you are. So you know, I'm doing a lot of. By, by the way, t- tell
1: people, you you have started another podcast, although it's kind of a continuation of a former podcast in a way, but you've got a, a new co-host. Um, tell people about what you got going on there.
0: Yeah, at Musketeer Report. I used to do the Dan and Victory podcast with uh, Brian Snow, a colleague at 24-7, and my guy Dan. Both of those two have left me out in the cold all alone, and uh, so I had to find another podcast. I started a new one last week. With Paul Fritschner, a name some people might know. He does cuff Cath games on radio. He's now in the Baltimore Orioles organization doing play by play for the minor leagues. And uh, he has helped start a new podcast with me, the Musketeer Report podcast. We had uh, Travis Steele on last week. So nice. it's a good episode if you want to go check it out. The first yep. one. There
1: we go. Very well done.
0: All right. What we got? Right, let's jump into it, starting with the Red Skinny, who have gone three and three since we last spoke, which is appropriate with this. <laughs> it really is leaving their record at 24 and 29 good enough for fourth place in the NL central and seven games back of the first place Cubs, the narrative around the reds has mostly become quote. We all saw this coming, right? I mean, they were a 500 team at best and that was with Luis Castillo and Eugenio Suarez playing competently before the season started in our minds. The team is what it is, right? That's what everyone is saying at this point. But one of the main points that people made at the beginning of the season when talking about the possibility of the Reds making the playoffs this year was the relative weak division that they play in. We are now a third of the way through the season. Skinny, what do you think about the teams ahead of the Reds and their chances of pulling away with the division?
1: Yeah, I mean... The Cubs have continued to play pretty well. And I keep waiting for them to take steps backwards. And they really just don't. In fact, they kind of have surged here um, from a little middle of the pack to, to leading now by, I think today a game and a half, maybe two games over the Cardinals. I I like the Cardinals pitching. I don't know if I I like their lineup all told. I I don't know if that's sustainable to win the division. I think Milwaukee's a 500 team. I think the Cubs do come back to the pack, but the, the Reds, it just, they can't string anything together. It's, well, two steps forward, three steps back. Two steps forward, one step back. One step forward, two steps back. And it, it seems like that, that that's, that's now becoming a complete trend. You know, if, if you could have gotten what you're supposed to get out of Castillo and Suarez and Amir Garrett, I'm not so sure. I can't tell you this is a 29 and 24 team instead of a 24 and 29 team. And I, that's why I kind of rejected everybody. This team is what we thought they were. Did you really think Amir Garrett was going to be this bad? Did you really think Luis Castillo was going to be this bad? Did you really think A.U.A. Suarez was going to be this bad? Nobody, come on. Nobody thought that Um, you could argue about depth in the bullpen and all those things, but I kind of reject that notion, but I, I do think teams come back, but even if they come back some, I just, I have no faith that this team strings any lengthy winning streak together. It doesn't have enough. It doesn't have enough in the rotation. When the rotation comes through the bullpen stinks, on on you know and, and the only guy they can do anything out of the bullpen is T.J. Antone and they just aren't consistent enough offensively to go beat you seven to six. So uh, I I will say I think less and less of this team, but it's mostly because of performances from guys I I've said all along I thought should be better.
0: That's a good point, especially with the the guys that you know. Let, let's face it; in a lot of ways, this is a worst case scenario that people right. envisioned before the season started for the Reds. I mean, they are towards the bottom end of any projections that we saw and it's understandable when you look at the way some of those top guys have performed, like you laid out there. The one thing that I keep coming back to, when I look at the rest of the division right now, the Cubs are plus 38 and run differential on the season. and, And they're the only ones top 10 in MLB. But yeah, after you get past that in terms of the division, no one else is even positive. St. Louis is minus 10, right? Milwaukee minus 15. The Reds are minus 30 and the Pittsburgh Pirates. Worst team in baseball at minus 83 run differential on the season. Brutal. Yeah. So, I mean, when I look at that, not that that's the end all be all by any stretch of the imagination, but you have, as as you would say, a clear line of demarcation between (laughs) who the top of the division is and the rest. The problem with that is, even if you're saying, could the Reds catch Milwaukee and St. Louis, I don't see where the Reds' upside comes from this yeah, year. Yeah, I mean
1: that becomes that becomes a, a five hundred ball club probably.
0: Yeah, like best case scenario. But that's even if Suarez right and Castillo all of a sudden randomly figure it out and start playing like themselves. Maybe maybe there's some upside. Aside from that, what is the Reds' plan?
1: Not- that, see that that's that to me is the sixty four thousand dollars question because I, I don't even know if they know. I think they threw money at the, at the problem. I don't call it a problem. They threw money at it last year. Obviously, we had the pandemic. They've cl- cried pot all those things. A- and um, so, yeah, I don't know what the plan is. If you weren't going to spend this year, I, I can't see you spending much. I mean, it's not like crowds are going to come back in droves for a sub 500 club now that you're going to have the ballpark back open and they weren't coming to begin with, even with lesser capacity. So I, I don't see you making up a, a bunch of money there. You got a bunch of money coming due for you know Nick Castellanos again that you can get out from underneath of. So, yeah, you know, what what is that plan? Do you do you identify the three to five core guys? Try to you know hang on for dear life until Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo get up here. I'm hoping that's next year, but will there be enough around them when they come up? So, yeah, you know, what is the plan? There doesn't feel like there feels like they're they're kind of hanging on for dear life, hoping and hoping and hoping that Castillo gets better, Garrett gets better, Suarez gets better. Um, and as you know, hope is never a plan. It just never is.
0: And again, even if you get to that, it feels like that's where we started before this season ever got going. That's where we started with this team is expecting those guys to maybe be back to their old form and playing well. And even at that point, we have them a tick above 500 at best. So that's that's the thing where I struggle with it. It's like, I don't know that anyone's going to run away with this division necessarily. The Cubs certainly seem to be better than everyone else, clearly. But you can see how St. Louis starts getting the pitching staff going a little bit more. They've got a few guys at the top, but if they get a little bit more consistent, particularly in their bullpen, they could be a better team. Milwaukee, if they get healthy on offense, most of their big guns have been out on the offensive side. But pitching-wise, they've been pretty darn good. I can see how those teams get better this year. I can see how they improve and run away with this or at least run away from the Reds. Maybe not run away with the division, but I don't I don't really see how the Reds all of a sudden make that jump mid-season. I maybe if they for some reason decided to be, you know, buyers at the trade deadline and make a few moves, but realistically, what move do you even make with this roster right now? What move clearly makes this team better? for the rest of this season, And, and I don't know it. what that is, and I can't see them being in a point to make them.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think that's the, that's the problem. And so then now you're back to that apathetic stage as a fan, and and, and no offense, I mean, we're, we're rehashing a lot of the same topic with this ball club. And when you get to that point, that's about the point where people not just only check out of us, but they check out of the team. And, and I guess shame on them for not having a plan, not going back in again, just hoping against hope that things would get better. And I do feel for them that they've had – you know, a, a guy who we thought had Cy Young potential at one point turn into an utter disaster. A guy who looked like he was on the verge of becoming a dominant closer, becoming uh, a, a 9000 ring circus of a train wreck on the mound. You're, you're, you're slugging, you know, corner infielder be a be a mess. And, you know, some injuries mixed in. I, you know, I keep hearing the Joey Votto Senzel. Well, oh, they're missing them. Yeah, Are they really? I mean, are they are they difference makers at this point? The answer is no. Um uh, you know, I'd have to crunch numbers. I mean, I think some of the guys who seems like have filled in for those guys have actually been the ones hitting the ball. So, uh, you know, I, I'm with you. I, I there isn't one move that's going to do it, and there's not two moves. And you don't what capital you're not moving. You know, the Lodolos and the Hunter green. So, what capital can you even get to go get somebody? And the answer is you do you can't. And so here we are with yet another lost red season.
0: It's funny you say that because every time I've read over the last week plus that. The Reds are waiting for Joey Votto to get back, or the Reds are hoping to get jo- Joey Votto back. Like this was 2011, right? And right, <laughs> when right. they were getting back an MVP player, I'd be like, "No offense, I love Joey Votto. He's had a great career." But you're right; at this point, does it doesn't really matter if Joey Votto's back? No. It doesn't no. change this team one bit. And the idea right. that that's like who they're waiting to get back right now just tells you the exact type of position they're in. It, th- I mean, they-, they have no plan. They have really no shot. Now, do I think this team could hit a run at some point in the season sure. and, and have a nice month and, and make things look a little bit better? Of course it's baseball. Someone will get hot on the offensive side and, and, and carry you for a stretch, but realistically for, for an extended period, you know, a, a two or three month stretch, are they going to get back into this thing? No,
1: I don't see it. And Rick, if you want to take this back to last year, the 60 games that were played, I mean, this team is, is 55 and 58 over that, over that span. So it's telling me the longer we get into that sample size, I know it's over two different seasons for sure. And there's no Trevor Bauer in the mix. It's kind of are what you are, man. And, 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 you know, you, you've got, you've got some major, major rebuilding to do. And, and yeah, maybe some of the major rebuilding is, you just got to kind of hang on, identify your core pieces, wait for Hunter Green and Nick Ladolo. I, I just don't know if the fan base is, is, is I, look, they'll be excited when they, if they, you know, if that happens and those guys are good, but to ask the fan base to hang on. nah, I'll, I'll, I'll reemerge when, when, when those guys are up and if they prove that they can pitch at the major league level, they're certainly proving they can be dominant at the minor league level at the moment, which is a good sign. I will give you that. I like, I like that. At least it's a positive indicator, but um man, this team is just boring. Let, let me ask you a real, real quick before we move on. W- what do you do now at this stage with Luis Castillo and Amir Garrett? How do you keep running them out there? And really, there's really no, I, I think Amir Garrett, Rick, and you may know this better than I, I think he's out of options. So I don't think you can send him back to Louisville either.
0: Well, I think, yeah, I think that's part of the thing here is what other choice do you have? You don't have better players to replace them with or to try out. You don't have promising young guys that you think you need to get to see instead of them right, right. now that are ready.
1: Well, we don't and, know, maybe late in the year, maybe. Yeah, maybe. But again, you're not doing
0: that right now. For no, agree. In this season, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Phil, at all to Phil deal.
1: Him. Get Phil deal up from the minors, local guy pitching. Well, in the minors, well, there, there you go. But
0: yeah, I mean, it, unless you're just going to completely abandon either of those guys, which again on this roster, who are you replacing them with that's worth it? Right. I-, I can see sitting them down for a start if you're Castillo or two, I mean, or, or, just trying the, to refresh or, or, him.
1: Yeah, or the old, eh, we're going to put you on the DL for 10 days, wink, wink, nod, nod, just because we can't run you out there. We want you to take a, a mental refresher and at least bring somebody up because we need to fill the roster spot. That's the only thing I can think of at this point. I, I just don't know how you can keep running them out there and hope against hope something gets fixed. I mean, you can see the frustration on Amir Garrett the other night. That, that third home run, I think the Reese Hopkins one to right field, whoever it was, they hit the one to right field, the right hander. He just throws his arms up in the air like i don't get this what what am i supposed to do they need to get some of
0: trevor bauer's sticky stuff back (laughs) that start with that second of all i as tracy jones would probably recommend i think they need to be sent off to some resort with a couple of 300 plus pound women (laughs) and then i don't know i mean yeah put them in the steam room or the the whirlpool for a month or two and and let them sit it out because other than that I really don't know what you can do with this. Because I think,
1: I, think, I think now it's, it's, it's I, I guess I'll equate this to golf in a way. It's like, the, you know, I can go out and hit 500 buckets of balls with my bad swing. Am I going to get better if I don't get a lesson or two or, um, you know, fix the bad swing? No, I'm just going to go out there and beat you know, 500 golf balls and beat my hands till they're, till they're bloody. It's, it's almost at this point, what's the point of continuing to run them out there when they're just getting beat up? It just continues, I think, to take a mental toll on them, too. Of And you can see it with Garrett. Like, I, I don't know what I'm doing wrong.
0: There's a lot going on upstairs with Garrett. It seems no I mean, he's a very emotional guy on the mound. And I, I think he's overthinking it certainly. He's getting too hyped up out there. But at the end of the day, man, his ball just isn't moving like it no. used to. It's just really flat and it's just hanging everything. I don't I don't know what you do. You gotta imagine that this staff, this pitching staff that is all about spin rate and is all about all this technology is breaking it down in every way, shape, or form, telling him why it's not working. And he can't get it right. So, yeah, I mean, I think the best thing you can do is give him a mental break at this point, but who knows at this stage of things if if there's anything that can really be done.
1: Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what there is other than the wink, wink, nod, nod. You're going to the IL for 10 days, and let's just take a mental breather here. Pro
0: Football Focus ranked all 32 NFL receiving cores ahead of the 2021 season. The Bengals landed at number 12, which is good for tops in the AFC North, one spot ahead of the Browns at 13. The Steelers checked in at 18 and the Ravens 22nd skinny. Do you think 12th best in the NFL is a fair assessment of this year's Bengals receiving core?
1: It is just because you haven't seen Jamar chase play. I think that's probably fair, but I I think it's got a chance to be one of the best in the NFL. And I don't, I don't say that lightly. I mean, you have, you already have two and I I call T Higgins a thousand yard receiver. I mean, he was, you know, 80 yards short going into the finale and got hurt on the second or third. I'm not here to tell you that he would have definitively gotten it, but he was, Certainly in the in the in the wheelhouse of it, and he didn't hardly even play in the in the first game of the season for whatever reason. Um, so he amassed basically his stats in fourteen games, and so you throw a couple more on there. So I, you know, you essentially start with two thousand yard receivers, and you're adding what is what should be, and you're hoping to be, and I guess you're expecting to be the most dynamic piece of all on top of two one thousand yard receivers. Um, I think it easily has a chance to be a top five, top six, and and maybe when we're all said and done, you know. certainly in the in the the conversation for one of the tops but a lot of it hinges on how good is jamar chase how productive is jamar chase and rick i I don't know the answer to this i I saw that but i didn't dive into it um did they count tight end or they just count wide receivers
0: yeah you know it's funny because they mention in the write-up that the bengals are in a similar spot as some other teams and that they have a really good looking receiver core and they they need a better threat at tight end Yet at the same time, they also rank the tight end position. So, okay. I assume tight end is factored in yeah, the I mean, way I mean, they wrote it.
1: I, yeah, because I, I mean, if if you want to talk receiving core, you know some teams don't utilize the tight end the way some other teams do because you know there's only a handful of those upper echelon tight ends. I think if you're talking Kansas City Chiefs receiving core, Travis Kelsey has to be in that conversation, even if he is a tight end.
0: Well, one hundred percent, and you know they are ranked third overall and of course they talk a lot about kelsey in this right so it has to be a part of what they were considering but i do find it interesting that they also ranked the tight end position by itself but yeah the um but i I think that's the the clear thing that's holding the Bengals back is that they have no real threat at tight end i mean i'm fine with cj uzama overall but he's coming back from an achilles injury so how much can you really factor him into being productive this year and drew sample is a total
1: Nothing. Yeah, he's he's a he's a blocker. Is all he is. But I mean, if 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 I'm already tried out two thousand yard receivers, and I have you know again my most dynamic piece that I've added to it, <clears throat> no offense. If if the balls are getting spread around to those three cats, which it should be, uh, and they're getting the majority of targets, etc., I don't even need the tight end involved that much. I'm sorry, I just don't.
0: I think I think that's right. When you look at them compared to the rest of the AFC North. Do you, I mean, the Cleveland Browns and the Bengals are 12 and 13, so they're one spot away from each other. I mean, would you put the
1: Bengals first? I I would, because again, I'm starting at a pretty good base with 2,000 yard receivers and adding a piece that I'm pretty sure is going to be pretty good. I, again, I, you know, you have to see it. And I think that, I think it's fair. I think it's fair that, that that's probably where they are to start. And I think they are a better receiving core on paper. And that's all this is at this point. And I know they're probably factoring in Jamar Chase as a collegian, if they're doing the crunching of the numbers, um, circumstance of it. Um, I, I think they are probably the best receiving core in the North for sure. Sh- I shouldn't even say, I think they are for sure. And I think they're, they're in the conversation. It will be by the end of the year of top five, if everybody stays healthy.
0: I think you're right about that. I mean, even just looking at the Bengals upside on this receiving group, I think they're the most talented. And even in terms of production, when you look at the other, these other teams, most, even the Browns are going to be relying on at least one guy who's not really proven at this point. So it's like the, right. everyone's kind of in the same boat as the Bengals in that they have a guy who's unproven yeah, out of the, their top three receivers, but, but not but all Bengals, of them are, uh, you know, top ten pick.
1: Right. I was to say, but the Bengals add add you know advantage there is they have a number five pick. They have yeah. the number one wide receiver in this draft class. So, exactly
0: yeah. right. So I mean, it's it's one thing to say, oh yeah, the Bengals have upside if Jamar Chase is good, but these other teams have more experienced guys. It's like a uh, oh, slightly more experienced. It's it's a little bit different in terms of the the potential there and upside. I think you're right. I think the Bengals could potentially be one of the best receiving cores in the entire league, like talking top three to six. maybe. And the,
1: and the one thing that I don't think has been discussed and I don't even know if we'll get to it until training camp. Maybe we'll talk to T next week. Um, they, they've done a pretty good job of trying out some guys that we want to talk to coming back from injuries, et cetera. Uh, so far in the first, you know, two OTAs that were available to the media. Um, you know, I'm not sure we've talked enough about not us. I just think the narrative in general is, what leap forward does T Higgins make? Cause if he makes a leap forward too, I mean, Holy cow. You know, if, if you're going to tell me Tyler boards, your third best wide receiver. Okay. I mean, it's a pretty good group.
0: Right. Think about that. I mean, before last year's draft, I'm out the 2020 draft. We were talking about how great of a get Boyd was and how consistent he was going to be. And that he was kind of a, a new star in the making. And now he could be your third best receiver on the roster. Right. That's a pretty good job over the last few years of shoring that position up. No question. All right, Skinny, we'll transition to the hardwood where there was some big coaching news at both the college and NBA levels on Wednesday. Duke announced that Mike Krzyzewski will retire after the 2021-22 season. Associate head coach John Shire, who played for Krzyzewski from 2006 to 2010, has been named the coach in waiting. He'll spend the 2021-22 season preparing alongside Krzyzewski and will take over the following year. Then in the NBA, the Boston Celtics announced that Danny Ainge is retiring and Coach Brad Stevens is being promoted to President of Basketball Operations, leaving his post as head coach. The Celtics will start a search for a new head coach to replace Stevens and said Ainge will work with the team on the transition through the offseason. Skinny, what did you think of the big coaching moves in college basketball and the NBA?
1: Yeah, I'll start with the NBA one first because I don't have a real hot take on that in any way, shape, or form. I am a big Brad Stevens fan. Um, I, I love his drill work. I, I've used a lot of it off of you know his YouTube stuff. I just think he's a really good coach. Um, you very rarely hear a bad word about him as a coach. I know this year didn't work out. They were certainly beset by injuries. Um, I'm not here to make an excuse for the guy uh, because you know that franchise is is is. You know, should uh, that team should have been better, but injuries certainly hurt them. I just wonder for a guy like that. Sometimes, yeah, you need the new challenge. I know he's extraordinarily highly thought of in the organization from what I've read and heard and, and listened to last night. Um, he's very highly thought of, I think, around the league uh, for, from a knowledge perspective. But you're talking about two different roles. You're going from on court teaching and xing and owing to building a roster. Um, and I thought Danny Ainge did a pretty good job building the roster, to be honest with you. And again, the injuries hurt them. Uh, and I just wonder if he's that kind of guy that eventually will quickly miss the coaching aspect of it. And maybe, Hey, maybe it's just the, there. look, it is a grind. I mean, some of those guys that are lifers in the NBA from a coaching perspective that have bounced from team to team. And sometimes they get that year off in between. I, I think if you do it anymore for you know more than five, six, seven years at a stretch, you're probably close to burning out with either yourself or the team you're with. And that's where usually you see a coach get shoved away, even if they they're coaching, you know, good teams. So, yeah, I, I, I guess for the Celtics and I guess for Brad Stevens personally, it's probably a good, good time for a change. It keeps him in the organization as well. Um, But I I think he'll miss coaching. I do.
0: Well, there are two big, Rumors going around, I don't know if rumors the right thing, but kind of the underlying rumblings going on that throughout the season where that one Brad had lost the locker room that, you know, the players weren't listening to him anymore and that there needed to be a change and things weren't great in the locker room. The other thing was that Brad Stevens was supposedly... Through yeah, this is coming from Woj, who uh, anything he says at this point, we basically accept as gospel from the NBA side of things. Sure. But he said that there were people around Brad Stevens that said he was tired of coaching, period. Yeah. He's just, yeah. It's just, it's, it's a grind. It's the a grind. COVID stuff didn't help. And he had lost the ambition to coach. And that's why when the Indiana job came open this year, and he even at that point probably knew that there was a good chance he wasn't going to be coming back as the Celtics head coach the following season he still didn't take the chance to be a college head coach because he has no interest in going into the recruiting grind again and, and going into all that stuff. He was tired of coaching by all indications from people in the know. So and, and that's listen, kind of an interesting factor as well.
1: Yeah. And, and when you had the success he did at college in the, in the initial success with the Celtics and suddenly you've kind of your franchises plateaued a little bit, you've, you know, you just, it, it, it's, it's not working out in the grand scheme of things. I think you do get burned out on the, you think you can coach your way out. Listen, I don't care what coach you coach at any level. Every coach thinks you can coach their way out of it. I it's times I, I look at high school open jobs. And I, 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 in cursory thought, I'm like, well, that'd be kind of interesting. And you look, you look at the roster and go, no, I'm not taking on that child. I. You know, I think I can coach my way out of a lot of things. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. And I think sometimes coaches get to that point where I, I think I can coach my way out of anything. Well, in the NBA, if you don't got the star power and your stars are hurt, um, you, you ain't coach. You, you can coach it up some ways and do some good things. And there are certainly better coaches than others. I've come to really appreciate Eric Spolstra. You know, I kind of made fun of him coaching the big three and how easy it was. And he has certainly shown that, especially with what they did last year, that he can just flat out coach. But um, I, I get it. I think it's just that stage of, I can't coach my way out of this anymore. And I'm so exhausted trying, I give me something different. And I think, again, they think enough of him that they wanted to keep him in the organization because they think enough of him as a basketball mind but it is a different animal building a roster versus coaching a roster. It's a—it's it's totally different. It is. But in some ways,
0: couldn't you see him being better at that? Being Maybe that he's such an analytics nerd and a video grinder and all that stuff. That, and that was his original thing is he's almost like also- a video game type guy as much like I could see him having trouble relating to billionaires and young dudes and and constantly finding ways to motivate them uh, more so than I could he can't figure out like which basketball players should be on the court together.
1: Yeah. I also think though, he was, he's always been a pretty good player developer, you know, from a, from a coaching perspective. So, you know, it's one thing to maybe coincide with Danny Ainge and go, you know what? I see something in that guy that I can develop, but, I think it'll come down to whoever that head coach is. Hopefully, that you know if they've got trust with each other, they have that same kind of relationship of him saying, "I see something in this guy. What do you see?" Um, then, yeah, maybe it'll, again, I there's all indications the guy is just a brilliant basketball mind, and 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 you know, but it is a different animal. It is a completely different different animal for him.
0: It is fascinating to me also to see the the concept of a lot of people felt like the Celtics needed to change, and that Brad Stevens and they probably was did on thin ice, and to essentially see them fire a guy while promoting him at the same time is really kind of a unique thing that you only see at this, (laughs) at this line at that level.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Let's flip to the the college side of things and coach K what was your thoughts when you found out that he had one, let everybody know that he's doing a farewell tour and,
1: Two yeah. that he has already decided his replacement in John Shire. Well, that's the, that's the diva of Coach K. Correct. I mean, there's 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 no question that was divish. I, I I think I think that follows the Roy Williams plan of listen, I'm getting older. This game's changing a whole lot. I don't want to mess with this transfer portal nonsense. Uh, peace out. I got all the money I need. I've coached this game for a long time. Um, good to go and it's time to retire. And and some of it is too, man, go enjoy some retirement time. I, my, I mean, you know that Rick college basketball season and the off season is a grind, probably less so for the coach K's and the Roy Williams where you're just the closer now more than anything else. And your name is, is so established that, that, you know, you, you can certainly get a lot more inroads to recruits than others, but I think it's pretty clear that those two guys just see the changing landscape and went that, nah, okay, you know what? I've had a great run. I'm done.
0: I think that had a lot to do with it on both sides of things, but, you couldn't have done it in more different ways no, in right. terms of how you're leaving. you know, Yeah, well, you said this. I'm
1: done. See, I'm going to golf course. I'm done.
0: I'm out. Quiet exit. You know who my guys are. I want one of them to get the job. Right, but- right. Is what it is. I'm not going to you know, do this whole dog and pony show with Coach K. It's the exact opposite. He oh, wants he's all his flowers. No, he no wants doubt. an entire season of people celebrating him. The whole ESPN specials. And I'm sure they're going to be doing bringing back some of his old commercials and things that he's done over the years with them. Like It is going to be an entire production from starting now all the way through next March, which God, I've never thought about anything I wanted more than for Duke to not make the tournament next year. Well,
1: no, no, I'm waiting for this. I'm waiting for somehow they're eight and 10 in January. His back crops up again. And he just goes, John, Calling finish out the year. Yeah, yeah, John, I'll call it early. You you take my rest of my losses for this year.
0: I wouldn't doubt that at all. If they get off to a really bad start, I, you, I can you've totally made a, see seem just bowing you, out.
1: Yeah, you, you've made a couple of tours through some, you know, through some places non-league where they've sent you off or, you know, some of the home stuff they've sent you off. Maybe one of those early ACC trips or two that you know that, you know, you're, 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 You're hated but loved at the same time as goofy as that sounds because everybody's got, you know, everybody loves the villain at the end of the day. They really do. Um, You make a couple of those, you go, "Eh, you know what, eight and ten and we're not going to get any better. And, eh, you know, we're going to probably win six more games. John, you take it on. I'm I'm good.
0: You know, I mean, I guess we all knew that Coach K was basically going to be able to pick his replacement. Sure. He's earned that at Duke. Were you surprised at all that it ended up being John Shire in this case?
1: I guess. I mean, you know, Tommy Amaker probably the most established of his former assistants. I I, I I guess Quinn Snyder. I don't know if Quinn was an assistant for him, but Quinn played for him. But he's coaching in the NBA. Um, I think Quinn likes the NBA. And if you remember, his, his stint at Missouri he was kind of tainted with some NCAA issues. So I don't know if that would have ever been a possibility. Anyway, you can correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm missing anybody else. But Tommy Amaker, and he's done it at Harvard. And that's no knock. Um, I think he found a great niche um, you know, there for both himself and, and that program has found him with a great niche. I guess that's the only other one that would have come to mind for me. Um, but also remember coach Kate took it on at, at, at a young age too. um, different circumstance, obviously, uh, you know, the program at Duke at that time was, was coming out of some good years and then faulted for a couple of years and, and whatnot, but he was a young guy. So maybe he sees that of, Hey, you know what, you know, whether this guy has experience or not, he's going to be ready. Um, and he's been a good recruiter. Um, I think he's the one that was responsible for sure for Jason Tatum. I think he's responsible for the kid that's their top guy in this, this year's recruiting class too. So I guess he's got those chops going, but yeah, I mean, I, again, I'm, I'm the only one I can think of just with the, with the tree would be Tommy Amaker. And if you got somebody else, you know, feel free to, to buddy. And I, I can't think of anybody else.
0: Well, I mean, there's two guys that just have to be wondering where things went wrong or how they screwed this up so badly. Steve Wojciechowski is well, sure, but he's or, not, but yeah, he's one or two March wins away probably in the last couple of years. I mean, if he just makes one or two tournament runs, he's probably the guy because right. he would clearly be the most accomplished. He'd be at Marquette having decent success. I, I mean, he just couldn't find any success in March to, give himself that chance to hang around long enough. And then the other guy that I think has to be wondering, wait, what the hell happened to me is Jeff Capel. The guy was sitting looking like the coach in waiting. Everyone thought that it was going to be him for years and years. And then it's like, it almost seemed like they said, Hey, you got to go somewhere else and prove yourself again. And he he didn't, and he didn't. Right. And he took that opportunity. And now he's out of the picture again. And it goes to the young guy, John Shire, who has zero head coaching experience. You're talking about a job in Duke that the most accomplished guys in the industry would beg to get that job. I mean, what about about, about, about they're out there for Indiana that everyone thinks Indiana should be able to get Duke can actually get those names,
1: right? What I don't even think this guy either, because again, I think he's done some nice things as a head coach, and he's certainly close to Coach K's, K's heart because he was in that Tommy Amaker group of players that really kind of saved his job, was Johnny Dawkins, but I don't think Johnny Dawkins has even done enough to move that needle.
0: No, not close. I mean, right. again, it's honestly, if I'm a Duke fan... I probably want John Shire. I probably feel best about that because, like, it's you the said, unknown. It's, it's the it's, unknown. Right. It's kind of like Coach K, right? You got a young guy, you can kind of mold him. You know, it means a lot to him, just like those other Duke guys. So you're getting the whole brotherhood family thing to sell still. But yeah, so uh, in terms of like which of those former K guys would I want to come in and run my program, it's none of the established guys because they haven't been any
1: good. Yeah. Rick and I know we 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 you know we all poke at Coach K and he's earned a chunk of that, but but is he on the Mount Rushmore of college basketball coaches? In your opinion? Yeah, of course.
0: I mean he has to be just because of what he's accomplished and and what he's turned Duke into. There's there's no doubt that he's done incredible things as a basketball coach and he's done Team USA stuff and all that. The NBA guys show him a lot of respect. So. I'm not acting like the guy can't. Coach no, I know. I realize that. Yeah. Huge part of college basketball. I do not like him personally. I find him very easy to root against. And I think he's done some extremely childish things that he really doesn't get called out enough for. Oh, agreed. But agreed. he makes it all about himself as much or more than any player I've ever seen. and And this is just another example of that. But that being said, it doesn't mean he's not one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, agreed. All right, Skinny, not a lot to get to on the betting front this week, but we do have a few things to discuss. One, I wanted to get a quick update. Where are we at with your NBA picks? You had some, uh, some I did players going for the playoffs, and I feel like a couple of those have to be in decent spots. Giving you a chance. They are,
1: I've, I've kind of navigated my way through. So I put ninety dollars in the pot and took three teams from the east, three teams from the west to win it all. Um, the, the, the minimum I can win is 135 bucks. The max I can win out of this is 485. So in the West, the three teams I took were the Clippers where if they were to win it all, I would win about 20 bucks, but I got Denver to win 485 and I've got Phoenix to win 285 and they're going to likely, if they finish out their series and that's still an if, I mean, you know, Denver's got to go back to Portland as we do this tonight and Phoenix still has to go back to the Lakers. And I think they're going to end up winning that series, but hey, you get to a seventh game somehow, even though those two teams would have to go on the road and, you know, Denver would, would be at home and 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 uh, Phoenix would be at home for games seven. Um, it's not a sure thing, but I'm feeling okay about it. So those two teams would match up in a Western Conference semi, which means I'm going to get at least one of those to the finals. Something tells me the Clips still win that series with Dallas. I don't know why. And I if they do, I do think they beat Utah. And maybe I'm underselling Utah. I So I feel good I got a shot to get, my, you know, I I got a chance to fill the Western conference final and have a team in the championship in the East. I'm already eliminated one team. I took a long shot with Miami and they were playing Milwaukee, but I, I took Milwaukee as well. And I got a chance to win almost 200 bucks with them. And then I've got Philadelphia, which um, I think that's the one I barely get back to even, I think I'm like $10 if they win at all. And obviously that a lot depends on Joel Embiid, but you know, there's, there's a possibility of navigating them. If, if Philly can beat Atlanta, and uh, I don't think that's a big if even without Embiid, but it'll be more difficult. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I'm probably underselling the Nets. They probably are the best team because the big three are just that good when they want to be. But I, I like this Bucks team, and I got a chance to navigate Philly and Milwaukee to the finals. So I'm feeling at least good right now as we sit here today before those game sixes in the West takeover. Um, it would be nice to be able to sit back and, and have my two teams in the finals and just root for the bigger number.
0: Who do you feel best about right now? Is the Nuggets or Suns, I assume?
1: Uh, I feel best about the Suns. Yeah, now, a lot of it hinges on on the Chris Paul flopping around like a wet fish constantly, um, but it almost feels like it's his time. I don't know why it feels like that, and, and he's got dudes around him, so he doesn't have to carry all the load, but he can come up in big times. He just needs to stay healthy, stay on the floor, stop flopping around like a wet fish.
0: Yeah, can I say something about that, by the way? Yes. I, if you are on the floor and playing, and playing a full game and playing well, you, your your injury isn't an excuse. Okay, that's driving me crazy. Everyone yeah. keeps doing the Chris Paul is out here on one shoulder. Well, he's also playing like an all star. Yeah, correct. Like, can we stop t- talking about how bad his shoulder is? Like, I, I, it may be bothering him, but he's out here playing the entire game. At that point, it's not an excuse. He's out on the court playing. He's not held back very much by this injury, clearly. If you're watching the guy, he's playing really well. I mean, And to
1: me, and to me while, again, he is the leader because he is the point guard, he is the veteran, he's done a lot of good things in the league, he's still a quality player, Devin Booker's still the man. I mean, that, he's yes. still the man on that team.
0: Yeah, but they, the leadership of Chris Paul has clearly helped them in the playoffs. Here, oh, right? no I know, doubt, I no, agree. Agreed. Another thing, and maybe this happens more often, I just don't remember it or not recalling it from year to year, but have you seen anything like this mavericks clippers series where the run no. team wins every game
1: no i fully assumed because after the clippers fell down two nothing you know i think it was Kawhi or paul george or maybe both said we're fine we're fine and then they go take care of business in dallas and i thought to myself yeah you're fine oh, they're you're gonna back. sweep yeah they're gonna yeah, run away done. with the rest of the series yeah. Yeah. Game that match and then um you know i'm watching the game last last night on wednesday night we're doing this on thursday morning and they just look like they were in coast mode for a big part of it until the very end where they're like oh we might lose let's pick up the pace and then they had to make a play and couldn't make a play. And you look up and they're down 3-2 going back to Dallas. And again, it wouldn't surprise me that they go back to Dallas and win. And then finally win game seven at home because there will be a sense of urgency. They just don't seem to play. And, you know, last year it was Doc Rivers. And, you know, at what point is it the players? I mean, what point do you guys say it's us and get it done? Uh,
0: you can disagree with me if you want, but I would have to assume they'd be disappointed with Kawhi Leonard at this point and what they've gotten from him.
1: Yeah. Right. but last night at the end, he started to take over when he need Don't take over from the start, bro. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, he, he's
0: a great player. Obviously. Yes, I mean, he's he a great player. My spurs. And I loved him. especially right when he came out of college, I was all over the Kawhi Leonard train. I thought he was going to be great. Loved what he developed into. And then with the Raptors, he was instrumental. Huge. huge. I mean, they don't have yeah. that without him. No, um, but I just feel like the Clippers haven't gotten that same guy to a certain extent. And now watching him play with Rondo, That is a weird dynamic.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, that, they do not seem to care for each other too much. I would be interested in getting some truth serum in both of those guys and hearing what they have to say about each other. But, but that, that's where
1: I, I go back. I mean, you've got Rondo with 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 some rings. You've got Kawhi with a ring. You got Paul George chasing one. Kawhi has at a what, couple
0: rings. He yeah, correct. Yeah,
1: yeah, correct. Yeah, right. I forgot about that one too. But it, so, at what point do those guys decide that the listen? We're 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 you know we're in. We're we're good enough. We've done this before. We can do this again. Let's do it. I think they've got it in them. I think they're going to somehow survive this series. And if they do, I I do think they go on to beat Utah and get to the Western Conference Finals.
0: All right, one other question I had for you during our betting segment here was the Belmont is this weekend do you have any place for us for the horse racing yep
1: i'm gonna go with six to one shot known agenda finished ninth in the kentucky derby um is a closer and uh i i think there'll be enough of a pace for for known agenda make a run i like hot rod charlie at seven to two as well i i should like essential quality but i don't like the two to one price and i'm guessing goes off at eight to five that um i'm I'm gonna probably box Hot Rod Charlie and Known Agenda in an exact. To probably put them at the back end of a of a pick four or so, and, and roll the dice against essential quality and and go from there. And probably put a win bet on Known Agenda. So those are my those are my selections.
0: All right, there you go. That's it for our betting side. It's a small field.
1: It's only an eight horse field. So and and honestly, two of them probably don't belong. Um, so ne- then you start to whittle it down and you're really down to, all right, it's, it's really the, the, the for this, this race, it's, it's all about, about pace to me. And I'm, I'm going to go with the closers.
0: I'll see you guys at Newport racing gaming in the bingo. morning.
1: Bingo, bingo, bongo.
0: <laughs> all right. Let's get into some ask any, anything. And we've got two questions here from a couple of guys who, who listen all the time and send us lots of stuff. We appreciate right, them for it. doing that. Um, our guy, Michael, and it's funny. He sent this because I actually heard Lance McAllister asking this question, and uh, Mike, I thought, Hey, that's, that's a interesting one. I was kind of thinking about it in my head. And then uh, Michael submits, Hey, I'd love to hear what you guys had to say about Lance's question, which was now that things are returning to normal in quotes, which has become more true for you over the past year. One, you have a greater appreciation or desire for attending sporting events or two, you've realized the ease advantages
1: of watching sports events, sporting events from home. And yeah, why? Rick, Rick I, I've, I've talked about this for a while. Um, I'd kind of already gotten into that mode uh, before. Now, again, I'm a different animal, as you can imagine, right? Because I'm at yeah. a lot of events, and I just have done it all. I've done all that stuff. Um, I'm just not a big sit-in-the-stands crowd guy anymore. I, and and even when I was a journalist, I mean, I'd still probably go, if, you know, if I, I was covering a different beat. I, I did some backup Reds, but I didn't cover a lot of Reds in my days at the Post. But I did some. But back then, even I'd probably still go to 20, 25 games a year. Now, man, I am literally hard pressed to go to three at most in person. I've just come to the close to the ease of if I want to watch it on T. And, and again, this team doesn't move the needle much for me either. So that doesn't help um, for the most part. But I'm kind of in that camp of. I got enough on TV and my laptop and at home and I can flip around the dial and I don't need to go spend, you know, if I want to spend eight bucks for beer, I can go get a, 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 you know, a a six pack of, of Bud Light tall boys, for goodness sakes, (laughs) as opposed to one beer. So I just, i am kind of in that latter camp. I'm going to be interested to see, I've said this before. And I think I said it during the pandemic, be careful what you wish for that you wanted to get sports restarted major league teams, because if fans decide that they are okay to start watching this and the ease and comfort of it is much better. I don't know if they come back in droves. Yeah. You've seen it in NBA arenas. They've come back, but I think we've also seen that increase with time with the playoffs too. Right? So there's that level of excitement with the playoffs. What's going to happen next NBA regular season when it's open for, are they really going to come back? What's going to happen with the NFL? Are they really all going to come back? Or did people get used to watching the Sunday ticket, watching red zone, comfort of their own home? Not having to pay exorbitant prices, I, I think it's a really interesting dynamic to continue to watch. But I'm in that latter category of, I'm just kind of good at mostly on TV. If you want to ask me,
0: yeah, this hasn't really changed for me because of the pandemic. I've always been pretty much in the boat of if I'm really interested in watching the game from, uh, I'm am into the sporting aspect of it and into what's going to happen in terms of results. I want to watch at home. I want to be watching where I can see, hear everything. Have rewind, have Twitter up and going. To me, that's how I enjoy watching sporting events that I really care about.
1: And we're for the record, we are clearly two different demographics from an age standpoint. So yeah, yeah I mean that's that's the interesting part to this.
0: Very different. But I still really enjoy going to games from a social aspect and if it was something like the playoffs, I would think that was pretty cool. Like to go to a playoff atmosphere for the Reds or Bengals, I would enjoy doing right.
1: That. But you but you got 81 regular season for one and you got nine regular season for the other. Exactly. And and for
0: for most of those games, I don't need to be there. Right. Especially if I really care about the game. The bigger the game, the more I probably want to be at home, really paying attention and locked in on the game, as opposed to out talking to people drinking, what have you at the game, which is what I normally do. And so I will say from the social aspect of things, I am more anxious to get out and experience social life, you know, go to a Reds game and, and hang out with some buddies. I, I did one already this year and it was nice. It was a great night. It was fun to be out there. So I would say for me, it kind of does add to the, I'm more anxious to get back out just because it feels like we've been cooped up and we haven't seen people for as long, but in terms of, do do I really like want to go to sporting events more now because I they had been taken away and not being able to go in public? Eh, not really. I, I still feel very much like I enjoy watching it from home. the The watching experience for sports and this has nothing to do with COVID has got had gotten too good long a long right. time ago. Oh no doubt, there's you know, no question. The the H this HD the 50 inch screens that cost 200 and bucks. You know, I mean, you can get a great looking big screen TV in your house for under $300 now. Yeah. It's, I mean, when you're talking about that and a, a streaming service, you can be up and running pretty inexpensively and, and have everything you need right there for a great watching
1: experience. And, and, I, and I'll be honest. And, and I hate to do this because, because I know some people, the pandemic affected some of them and probably, you know, mentally affected them because they were cooped up and they couldn't go do the things that they enjoyed. But I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, starting last, honestly, last late May, June, when my golf league started, I played in my golf league as normal. Um, I ended up coaching. Ba- I ended up broadcasting high school sports for a, a, a company. I do some side stuff for as normal. A little different because it was a shortened, you know, high school football season in Ohio um my my coaching part of it was different just because of the stop start stop start but at the end of the day we still got 20 games in um still kind of got some level of normalcy there and coming out of that suddenly you look up and you realize all right now we're starting to get shots and we're starting to get out of the pandemic and so um you know for me i i never really felt cooped up everything pretty much for me starting from last june on was pretty normal to be quite frank
0: Um i'm kind of there with you in terms of the, the day-to-day stuff and now again the the social aspect is nice to have that option again but in terms of the the watching sports and the day-to-day i don't think it's going to change a whole lot for me Mm-mm, yeah uh, another question from our guy bud who, who sends us a lot of stuff and always listens over your careers how unique have you found fan bases to be are they truly unique or are there basic characteristics that are universal also given honest assessment of cincinnati fans
1: yeah. I think Cincinnati fans are battered, man. I, I really do. I, I think, I think they are so quick when even the smallest thing that they can hinge on, they get overly excited about like right now, the, I, I, I feel like there's so much overexcitement for Joe Burrow. Um, I get it cause you're clinging to hope and I, I understand that, but it feels like at any little tinge of something positive, everybody jumps to that side. Um, but I, I fully get it. But yeah, I I think I don't know if it's unique to fan bases, because certainly there are probably fans in Cincinnati who find Ohio State fans in football totally annoying. Get it. Find Kentucky basketball fans totally annoying. Get it. I'll be honest, I'm not a Bengals fan. I grew up one. I'm not, but I cover them now. I find Pittsburgh Steelers fans to be over the top annoying. I mean, just to the point of I don't it's funny, I don't mind Browns fans. They're they're goofy and and they're certainly extraordinarily loyal to their team and maybe it's because they've just been such sad sack losers until last year that you kind of felt more sorry for them so i i I think the uniqueness is if it's a good and we're talking kentucky basketball really good ohio state football really good Steelers consistently good i I think they get on your nerves because they continue to be good and the fan bases continue to let you know that and you get sick of hearing it so I think there's nothing unique to it, other than when it's those fan bases that know they're really good, and they. The thing I, I just I've never associated I've never associated my, um, I guess my worth with what my teams are doing, and I do think those fan bases. There's some segments of them that really their self worth hinges on those teams' success, and I just I don't get that.
0: Yeah, that's always a little bit weird when people go to that extreme. Uh, I've got a theory, and I'm interested to see what you think. Of oh, it. I don't okay, know yeah, if I've, okay, no, if okay, I've yeah, given this yeah. one to you or not. I know I've said it on my Xavier podcast before, so uh, Xavier fans, bear with me here. But I have an opinion that fans take on the personality of their coach to a certain <laughs> extent, especially okay. at the college level with football teams and basketball teams. So if you want my local example that I think people can see illustrated pretty well, I think looking at Xavier fans from the Prosser, Mata, Miller era to where you had Chris Mack, there's a clear change in the way Xavier fans acted. You used to see all the time uh, graduation rate, graduation streak, the Xavier way, all that type of stuff. All of a sudden, Chris Mack takes over and he's more of like this. I don't really care what you think of me. Embrace being a little bit edgy, maybe a punk. Some people would say whatever term you want to use. Chris Mack just didn't really care how you felt about him as much. And he was more about being a villain or playing into the heel role. And all of a sudden, Xavier's fan base became like the biggest group of trolls you've ever seen. You no longer hear about Xavier talking about the xavier way or class they make sister rose right they make fun of butler for being classy like that's who xavier's fan base has become and i feel in large part that was the result of chris Mack and some of the mario mercurio egged on trolling that went on there on the flip side you had uc fans that went from bob huggins we're the baddest dudes on the planet. We wear the Jordan jerseys, the black Jordan jerseys, and just had that kind of aura about them of like, we don't care about anything. And we're the big, bad Bearcats to Mick Cronin whining about everything. And now you see fans kind of have that nature to them. If you interact with them on social media, they are very upset at a lot of things all the time. So I, to me, I, I think, uh, and you see this with other teams too, but I think for lo- locally, that is the best example that fans would understand because they have seen that. I think there's something too. You kind of react to things the way your coach reacts to things. If your coach whines a lot in post game things and, and feels like the league or forces are out to get you, that's kind of the way your fan base reacts. If you are a, a, you have a coach that is very much like the screw it, we are who we are and beat you know how you feel about us, be damned that is kind of how your fan base seems to react to And yeah, I that's I, been my take.
1: Uh, yeah, that may be, you may be right for those circumstances, but when you're talking blue bloods, like Kentucky basketball, Ohio state football, Steelers football, I think it just takes on the fact of we've been so good for so long. We're going to tell you about it. It does. Yeah. Cause yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if that correlates to what you're talking about there. Um, but I, I think what you're talking about with those two in particular probably does. And maybe if you went to some other places, it, it may correlate, but I think with the blue bloods, I think it's more, we're the blue, we're a blue blood program. Screw you. We're, we're better than you. And we're going to, and when we beat you, we're going to tell you about it.
0: Yeah. Those, when you're talking about like UK and Ohio state, UK basketball, Ohio state football, like those are kind of the two first fan Correct. bases I think of when I think Correct. of crazy fan bases, They're so deep in and so lost. You're talking about people like you brought up originally that base their lives and their day to day well-being on how well their team is doing at that moment. Right. right, Where they're at. So, yeah, I I mean, I, I think there's different levels of fandom, certainly. But in terms of like the overall tenor, particularly on social media, I would say, and the way your fans react to things that are done, that are said. I think a lot of that has has to do with the way your coach reacts to it over a period of time. I mean, it's not instant. It's not like, you know, all of a sudden out of nowhere you have a new coach and everyone starts changing the way they tweet. But I do think it is something that has developed over time. If you take on if your if your coach becomes your team, you know, like Chris Mack was here for a decade. McCrone was here for uh, over a decade. If, yeah, so right. You know, it's it's when you have that type of situation where you have an extended period of time and you, you kind of take your team takes on the personality of your coach, your program takes on the personality of your coach a little bit. I think your fan base tends to do it too, to how they react to stuff.
1: That's a good question though. I like it. I
0: do too. That's all we got for this.
1: All week. right. All good, man. Appreciate it very much. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week for Rick Boring. I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition.